Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the South Carolina Disaster Corps podcast, the exclusive podcast that is dedicated to the education of South Carolinians on a variety of topics within emergency preparedness and the only one that strives to apply that knowledge to increase community awareness, resilience, and service. I'm your host, Sawyer Lewis, and welcome to episode three of the podcast. Today, we're joined by Lieutenant Todd Karen, who's going to be speaking with us about active assailants and active assailant training. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, sure. My name's Todd Karen. I'm a lieutenant with the Anderson County Sheriff's Office. I am uh, assigned to the Special Operations Division, but uh, I'm over the Civil Division and Community Outreach, which part of that goes towards, uh, you know, helping teach church safety and active assailant type training. Perfect. So what are the basics that any average citizen should know about active assailants as individuals? Uh, basically, just how to respond, what, what exactly they should do, God forbid they were to uh, ever get caught in an active shooter uh, type event. Uh, basically, uh, avoid if they can, and that's, you know, it, it, it used to be run, hide, fight. Now, uh, the folks that I'm trained through is, is alert, and we use civilian response to active shooter events. And they use, instead of run, hide, fight, they use avoid, deny, defend. Uh, and I like that a little better, because instead of run, they use avoid. Because run implies, well, if I just take off running, I'm good to go. And it's not. It's You're trying to avoid the shooter. Uh, you know, if the shooting is to your right, run to your left. You go the opposite direction. You're avoiding wherever the shooter might be. Uh, and then there was uh, deny, which is instead of hide, they changed it to deny because you're you're not just going to climb under your desk and going to be okay. You're trying to deny the suspect access to where you are. Keep him out so he can't get to you. And then they changed it from fight to defend. And I think a big part of that sweep was HR people. Uh, you go into a business and tell the people to fight, HR people tend to lose their minds. They go, oh, you can't tell people to fight. But you can tell people to defend themselves. So basically just, uh, you know, know the basics. Uh, avoid if you can, deny if you can't, and fight because you have to. And then something else that, uh, that I like to harp on is know how to treat uh, trauma. You know, if you were to, God forbid, have a, a gunshot wound. Know how to keep yourself and other people alive after that. Gotcha. And I actually hadn't heard that the change. I had heard hunt, run, hide, fight. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that change is almost more like changing the attitude people take when they're in that kind of situation. Yes. And I think probably mentality and attitude is an important part of the training that you kind of, that you do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what locations are usually the most vulnerable to active assailants? Uh, you know, I think... I don't know that any place is necessarily more vulnerable, but I know the ones you know the ones we tend to see the most are schools, uh, and we do a lot of a lot of training with our school districts. Uh, but then, in addition to schools, uh, businesses, you know, some of the, it doesn't matter the size, any business could be susceptible to it. You know, uh, someone fires an employee and and they're angry about that, mm-hmm. and start making threats. Then, you know, so. Definitely. And kind of branching into that, there are probably trainings that are standard for just any sort of situation for active assailants, but are there, what are the trainings that are standard and are there like specific ones for like certain businesses and certain communities that are also available? Uh, We don't necessarily tailor towards one business or another, but what we do offer is we will come in and give a a free safety assessment Mm -hmm. to anybody that wants it, be it a school. Uh, We did every school in school district five where a group of us walked through the school and we said, okay, you're doing this right. Um, This could be improved upon. And we gave them a written up 
assessment of things that they might could have improved upon and things they were doing good to keep themselves safe, not just in uh, active assailant type event, but overall safety type stuff. Um, now we do have some classes that are specifically tailored to church uh, settings. That's another you know area that that we we uh, teach in. So uh, I do have a program specifically set up for churches mm-hmm. as well. Okay, and we were talking a little bit before the podcast. So how has COVID affected your ability to train individuals and? In- community outreach to certain communities as well. Unfortunately, the COVID has pretty much shut us down there for a while. Um, it's starting to, to kick back up now, but because teaching these types of classes, I, I've done as few as five people and as many as 600. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously you're not getting 600 people in a room nowadays. Definitely. Um, so it, it, it slowed us down for a while there, a couple of months, and then uh, we are open to train anytime. You know, uh, we do use social distancing precautions. Uh, I tend to make sure that I stay at least 10 feet from everybody. Uh, the mask makes me muffled a little bit, so I try to go without a mask. So with that, I stay back. Now, we do do some hands-on training mm-hmm. where uh, we get, you know, I get up close and personal with some folks showing how to do a takedown of a suspect if they were to have to defend themselves. And I, I think that's where our program differs a little bit from just your average active assailant response program is we go a step beyond of just telling you mm-hmm. defend yourself. We show you how to defend. But when we do that, of course, we put the mask on and I yes. make sure the other person has their mask on and, you know, because we're in close contact with each other at that point. Gotcha. And, for the individuals who might be a little bit more hesitant about going out and doing the on-hand training or in-person training, do you know of any online options or anything like that, a research that they could look at or maybe plug into to see if they can learn even a little bit while stuck at home if they're too afraid to go to an actual class at the moment? Yes. There, well, there's YouTube videos out there that you can watch. I know a lot of companies that uh, they'll have us come in every other year, every three years, and teach a physical class. Mm-hmm. But then on the those other two years, they'll just do an uh, online refresher. Um, the Run High Fight that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they have a pretty good short video that folks use for training and, and things like that. Perfect. And I would like to take a little bit of time to ask a little bit about the trainings that you lead personally and what they entail uh, and where they individuals can get your services as well. Sure. So um, a lot of folks come into this training because it's an active assailant type training and they just, they're pretty much scared. Mm -hmm. They think it's going to be a doom and gloom because you're talking about and and you're talking about an active shooter event and you are, but we try to keep it as light as possible, but as serious as possible. We're serious when we need to be, but it is certainly not a doom and gloom class. Um, There's no surprises. I know there has been some some publicity and other training classes where you'll come in for an active assailant class and in the middle of the class, somebody busts through the door with a blank gun shooting. We don't do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in scare tactics like that. You never know who you're dealing with. You have somebody with PTSD. I don't, you know, if somebody has a concealed weapons permit, things like that. It's just not something I believe doing that way. Uh, We do the hands-on. Uh, but everything we do, we do with a warning first. Even uh, I yell a little bit during the class talking about, you know, a lot of people dis- tell people don't discount telling someone to stop. 
especially in a school setting, if the shooter is a teenager or student, a lot of times if a person of authority yells at them to stop, they'll stop. Now, it's not a total brain reset, but during that session, I do yell, but I let people know, hey, I'm fixing to yell because I don't want to scare folks. I don't want to cause trauma to people. Um, and we fire a blank gun if the facility allows, but again, it's controlled. We let people know, hey, we're going to shoot this blank gun off. That's to let people hear what blank gun sounds like because gun, gunfire in a building sounds totally different than gunfire at the range. Inside, it's more of a muffled, you know, if it's close to the door, the door will rattle. It sounds way different. But then I also like people to hear that you can track that gunfire. You can tell, okay, it started on this end of the building. Wait, it's getting closer. Maybe I don't have time to deny, and i got to go straight to defend. Things of that nature. Gotcha. And so there are individuals who... I, I grew up having to do active assailant drills in school. But I did know like adults who thought, that it was, you know, like, why are we making your kids do this? Why are they thinking about it? And what would you what would you kind of say to people like that to kind of convince them that it is as important as it is, as we know it is? Yes. Well, and, and what I think should be differentiated is I wouldn't put kids through the training that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I would certainly advocate lockdown drills in schools. I'm not dismissing that at all. Um, I've had some schools call me and want to teach their, their students and I'm not teaching anybody below the eighth grade, basically high school and up Mm -hmm. is who I'll teach because I think they can handle it. I think kids younger than that, you're going to terrify them. If you, if I had, you know, the class I'd talk about, Mm -hmm. because I talk about that if the shooter's coming in there and he's coming to kill you, you may have to take his life first. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. It's you or it's him. And it's got to be him. He made a decision when he woke up that morning that he was doing something stupid that likely he was going to die at the end of the day, and you didn't. And that may require you to take his life, mm-hmm. if that's what needs to be done. Gotcha. Obviously, it's not the first choice, but I, I do think lockdown drills in schools are important. I wouldn't mm-hmm. go so far as to even put someone running around a school with a gun pretending to be a shooter. There's mm-hmm. just no reason to put the kids through that sort of trauma, in my opinion. Definitely. So. And this is a little bit of a personal question, and feel free not to answer if you don't want to, but have you had any experience with active assailants and active shooters in your uh, real-life career? So we had the uh, the Townville incident. Yes, sir. Um, Jacob Hall was killed, and uh, I did respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't one of the first people there, uh, but I was probably, I was probably 16 cars back. There was a line of us going down the interstate as quick as we could get there. Um, but the, it was an eye-opening experience. I mean, it's to evacuate a school and figure out where to take people and how to get them back, reunification, um, reunify them with their parents. Mm-hmm. It was a big process, and it was it was certainly a learning experience. So Definitely. And how has that event, like, shaped your trainings? As in, how would it... Because certain you guys learned a lot from that event because it was a terrible event. And I'm sure that it probably affected how you thought about things in law enforcement as law enforcement officers with your training during those events. But also, like, how can we better prepare these individuals? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's something anytime I teach a class, I think about Townville. Matter of fact, I, I don't go into too much detail about Townville because it, it wasn't that long ago. And it's still a sensitive subject for a lot of people. Yes. Um, I taught a class uh, right before school started back 
And uh, I was told that one of the teachers there was a substitute at Townville that day. Mm. And, you know, it didn't change the way I taught because what I bring up is nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't bring up anything that's going to bring back bad trauma. But something I, I, one of the things I do when I first start teaching a class is I show pictures of people that tried to fight back or they did something to try to improve their chances and they didn't necessarily make it. And I show their pictures and I kind of tell their stories and Jacob's one of those pictures. You know, I basically, the whole reason I show it is to tell people that when they watch the class that I teach, that I'm not going to show a picture of a shooter and I'm not even going to, I don't even say the name of a single active shooter because they don't deserve to have their names repeated. But the people that were killed, uh, the people that I show, including Jacob, those are the people that need to be remembered. Definitely. I about to say, it seems like in many cases the shooter is the one who always gets the recognition when it should be the victims. Right. So if anyone's interested in finding your trainings or signing up for your trainings when they do officially come back online, where can they find you? Uh, they can send me an email at T-C-A-R-O-N at andersonsheriff.com. It's T-Karen at andersonsheriff.com. Perfect. Again, thank you for coming on to the no show. Problem. It means a lot to us here at South Carolina Disaster Corps to have individuals be invested in coming onto our podcast. Uh, and again, you gave us a lot of really good information today about active assailants and active assailant training. And hopefully you have some individuals who will listen to this and get in- inspired and decide, hey, we probably should really take this seriously and come get training when those open back up. Uh, for any listeners who have questions for South Carolina Disaster Corps, you can let us know on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at SE Disaster Corps. For anyone who's listening on YouTube, you can leave us a comment. And anyone who's on our podcast hosting sites, we have an email that you can email us at, which is scdisastercore at gmail.com. Any new listeners, or if you recommend to listen, they can find our episodes on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, and the SC Disaster Corps YouTube channel. For those of you who are listening on our podcast hosting sites, hit the follow button to stay up to date with the podcast. For any of you listening on YouTube, you can hit the like button, subscribe for more content, and hit the bell icon to receive notifications for new videos. If you want to learn more about SE Disaster Corps, AmeriCorps, or United Way, please visit unitedwayofanderson.org. Thanks to all of you listeners for your support and for being with us today. And we hope to see you on Friday for our weekly shout-out. And of course, remember to stay prepared.